Eight weeks ago, we started a summer experiment of abiding in the qualities that are known as the fruit of the Spirit. And in this process, we've been reminded that it's always been about process. That spiritual growth is a process. Life change is a process. We did title this series, Fresh. And the goal was clear. That over these weeks, God would take us to a new place of spiritual vitality. Our spiritual growth is far from complete. But my prayer has been that by now, there would be a a newness, a freshness. That you would say, you know, I'm at a new place. It's a good place. It's a better place. I'm at a fresh place. That has been the goal. The plan to get to that new place has been to study the qualities known as the fruit of the Spirit. The strategy is to abide in the power of the truth. When you abide in these qualities, you are abiding in the presence of Jesus because they are the qualities of Jesus Christ himself. And that in abiding in that truth, that awareness and potential, it would then be added to our character. And any time you have a fresh infusion of love, joy, and peace, it it moves you to a new place. Patience, kindness, and goodness, it moves you to a new place. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, it moves you to a new place. Gentleness is what you recently studied, and I can't appreciate Pastor Barry enough for such a poignant word. Let's show appreciation to Pastor Barry for such a strong message. Great message. There are a lot of you in this room, you've been in church and around the teaching of the Bible and in the, under the influence of sermons, maybe for years. And you would agree with me that it is quite possible along the way in the journey of Christianity to acquire a lot more knowledge of God than we possess the character of God. And my prayer has been that we would not just know about God, but that we would abide in the truth of God and and develop the character of God, which would be a fresh cultivation of these qualities we find in Galatians. You'll see they're listed for you on the screen. And I've categorized them by color because they come in sets of three. Love, joy, and peace, that is your heart moving toward God. If you want to deepen your relationship with God, you start with your love for God, the joy of God, and peace. If you're going to move in a greater relational health toward other people, then you have to add these next three, and they're powerful. No one can have effective, successful relationships with other people without patience, kindness, and goodness. And when you get to the next three, it's how you live with yourself. Because no one can live effectively without faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We have come to this ninth quality in the list. Self-control. Let's not look at it as just a word of living the disciplined life. But let's look at it as the word that makes all the rest of these qualities really function. You see, there's an opposite to every quality. 
The opposite of love would be hate. The opposite of joy would be depression. The opposite of peace would be worry. What is the quality that can summon the ability to live out love rather than hate? Joy rather than depression. Peace rather than worry. It is the quality of self-control. It's the ninth quality. It's number nine. And, and I can't overemphasize this quality. I don't think that life can happen the way God wants it to for all of us as followers without the application of this powerful piece called self-control. Today, self-control is seen as that which could literally save your life. Love and joy and peace, they're soothing. Self-control is about saving us. Not as in from sin, but as in from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. As from the temptation to act opposite of every one of those qualities that we see. Would you agree that we all could use a little more of number nine? Self-control. Let me tell you just how important it is from other places. The wisest man who has ever lived. Here's what he said. Taking control of the self is better than taking a city. Now imagine what it means to take a city. And the wise writer says it's more important. It's way more important. And it's far better if you can learn to bring self under control. James is a very practical, powerful writer of Scripture. And he says, if we don't get this, then the rest of our Christianity is worthless. Powerful words about the power of self-control. On our own, we can't do it. In the empowerment of the Spirit, we can apply what it means to bring our will under the will of God and then live a life experiencing this kind of growth. So let's put this into context. Let's put this attitude of the inner self, this word self-control, let's bring it down and see if it is one of the most important aspects. And if it does have such impact on our well-being, then let's learn. And I can find no better place than the beginning, the book of Genesis chapter 3. So I want to encourage all of you to take your Bibles and find that passage Genesis chapter 3, beginning of the Bible. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1. And here's what the power of God's word says. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Oh, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. In that sentence, you just saw the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the pride of life. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Well, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. And I want to stop the reading right there. You know that this is the passage uh, taught as the fall of man. And it is a powerful, powerful passage of scripture that sets doctrine, that sets the reason for redemption. Today, I take this passage and it will help us to understand that we are not passive agents in this thing called Christianity. I've been concerned about something. As I started this experiment now nine weeks ago, my concern was that when I use the word let's abide in these qualities, that it would come across as passive. Like we really don't have that much to do with it. If somehow we can get in circles and sing kumbaya and, and just kind of wait in some closet of prayer that, that we don't do anything, but at least we give God a place to do something. And it comes across that spiritual growth from our part is passive. And it's anything but passive. Yes, without the Spirit of the Lord in helping us, we can't develop these qualities. But if we don't see the dynamic of our involvement and our intentionality, then it never works. It never happens. And this passage helps us. I mean, here's what what God said to Adam and Eve. Eat everything you want from all of these trees because it's, it's all good for you, but there's one tree that I want you to leave alone. He told them, eat all you want. I mean, can you imagine that diet plan? God giving you the diet plan. Eat everything you want. As much as you want. There's only one tree that you're forbidden to eat from. So do you see that in a garden of perfection, they still have personal responsibility? And I mean ultimate responsibility because the direction of humanity is resting in the decision they are about to make now the bible says that there was this tree in the middle of the garden now knowing the importance of that tree i wish the scripture would have said and there was this tree like on the top the tip top the like the summit of the highest mountain that was impossible to climb because if you're going to put one tree in there that, you, that you're not supposed to eat or even touch, then put it on the other side of the river. Put it as far away as, as you can. But no, it's at the center because God wants us to know about personal responsibility. 
God wants us to understand the place that our own power of choice has in the way life goes. That it's anything but passive when it comes to spiritual growth. Ownership is the word that's on my heart today. Ownership. This is so important to our development. Self-control is about taking ownership of who we are. See, before I get to the list of disciplines, before I get to my to-do list, I got to do these things in order to bring life under control. Before I get to my not-to-do list, I've got to quit all of these things in order for life to come under control. I don't start there. I don't start with the list. I start with ownership. I don't start with listing the disciplines. I start with personal responsibility. I believe there's a power in this, this room right now, and I pray that we receive this. Here is like the big idea of this message. We must own who we are so we can own who we can become. We must own who we are so that we can own who we can become. There are so many challenges that come to our mind as it relates to taking ownership. Now listen to what I'm saying. Take ownership of who you are. There's no way to bring self under control without taking ownership. But immediately, our minds can race to things that may be very material in our life that we had nothing to do with, that have created perhaps a lot of negative consequences, and we had nothing to do with it. And I struggle hearing that I need to take ownership when that was outside of the boundaries of my own control. Here's what I'm saying. If you're going to respond to the future, becoming who God wants you to become, you have to take ownership of who you are. Now, don't write me off and don't shut me out. Listen to this. It's a word of healing. It is a word of breakthrough. It is a word that will help you. All right? Brokenness, fragmentation, and addiction cannot be confronted and corrected until you take personal ownership. Hey, some personality types, all the studies are clear. They're just more susceptible to certain addictive behavior than other personality traits. Agreed? Yes, agreed, because it's true. Now, I, I'm type A. You know what that means? That means in my philosophy, in my way of approaching life, it's this. If if one is good, then ten must is the way to go. See, that's the way my mind works. Now, do I say, if that gets me into no end of addiction, do I say, well, it's not my fault. I didn't give me this personality. I didn't give me this DNA. Will that help me overcome? Will that help me become the person God wants me to be? No, I have to take ownership of who I am so that who I am can be brought under lordship, so that my future can be one that God prefers and that I would prefer. The only way to create a different you is to own who you are right now 
so you can own how you respond from this point forward. Now stay with me. God gives us a way to take ownership from this day forward. And here's the good news. All the things of the past have no restraint on God to bring us to a new place. If if you have messed up royally, if you have sinned like way out of the bounds of God's, God's order of life, if someone has hurt you and and there's brokenness in your life because what someone has done to you, I want to tell you that's very real. That is, that is the material of your past that has created a current reality. But none of those things, the sin you've committed or sins committed against you, are more powerful than the ability of God to do a fresh and new work in you starting today as you take ownership for who you are so that then you set yourself for the future God has. Here we go. If you don't do this, if you don't take ownership, you will live in the despair, defeat, and depression of being a victim. You cannot have vitality in life with a victim mentality. It is hard not to feel like a victim when you've been crossed in very cruel and abusive ways. But please hear my heart today. God has a future for you that is amazing and it starts with taking ownership that if right now you're fragmented, broken, and strung out, and stressed out, that's where you are. We don't look at all of the causes that have brought it to that point. We just say, that's the reality, and I'm taking ownership. Because when I take ownership of where I am and who I am, I'm going to open up the opportunity to bring who I am under the lordship of Jesus Christ, where there is power to make me new. Ownership, all right? Let's break that down. What does it really mean for me to take ownership? If I own who I am so that I can own who I can become, it's saying this, I'm going to take ownership of my choices from this point forward. Ownership of my choices. We just read this great story from Genesis 3, and let me paraphrase. When God confronted Adam... Adam blame shifted. Adam said, God, this woman you made me. Realize, a lot of us say Adam blamed Eve. No, he started, he does blame Eve, but before he blames her, he blames God. He's like, where's the consent form, God, that I signed that you used to put me to sleep and take the rib and make her in the first place? It's like, God, this woman you made, so he starts blaming God. Then he says, she gave me the fruit of this tree that you have forbidden, and I ate it. So what is Adam saying? He's saying, I am where I am because of choices that you made and she made. There's no ownership in that. Now let's go to Eve. God asked the question, Eve, what have you done? What have you done? 
And Eve said, God, this serpent made me do it. The devil made me do it. The only person who takes any responsibility for the fall of man is the, is the snake. He's like, yeah, I did it. Maturity, transformation, spiritual growth requires that we take ownership of the choices we make. Abiding in God and abiding in these qualities, it is not an absence of personal responsibility. It is to bring us into a greater awareness that spiritual vitality and growth, it is not passive. We've got to take ownership of who we are. The choices we make. We live in a culture that defers, deflects, personal responsibility that blame shifts. It's, it's more than cultural. It is a spirit. And you could call it the spirit of the age, but it's, been a, it's, been a, it's an old age. It's been around since Genesis 3. I remember when I first got married, and I'm only going to say this in this service because Kelly's with the young married class. I would not dare talk about this with her present. And I pray she doesn't listen. We, we won't even post this one online. We'll post the 1030 service on the video cast. So none of you tell her I'm telling you this. But when we first got married, if there was any kind of little bump in the road, and, and, and in kindness, she would just say, why, why did you do that? And immediately, I would say, not I'm sorry. I can't believe I did that. I would like go into this excuse making. I would always have a reason. Other than just owning it, there was a reason. Now I'm happy to testify. I haven't done that today. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, confession is good for the soul. Now back to the sermon and just wanted to make the connection. But I'll only share it here. Uh, not in the 1030 or the 12. Okay. You won't tell her I brought that up. All right. Accurate storytelling. Here, I mean, here's what I mean by personal responsibility. Seeing the power of your choice. Everybody talks about Noah's Ark. That's a major Bible story. Okay? Remember this story? God is done with how the world is responding. He is going to send a flood. He says, okay, there's going to be a provision made where people could be rescued and saved. And so, Noah, you're my guy. Noah, build an ark. Noah, it is going to rain. Build this boat and make it so large that you can get two of every kind of animal and get them on the boat. We got a boat now that's going to be three football fields long. We're going to get all of these animals. It's going to take years to build because it's going to rain. Now, a little note here. It has never rained before that point. So Moses has, I mean, Noah has to believe in this new concept that somehow uh, rain, it's going to fall, and when it falls, the flood will rise, and it's going to consume. And so I don't want you to see that Noah was just like this person 
abiding in the Lord, and, and the boat appeared. No, Moses took ownership, and he made a choice. And because of his choices, his choices to go build a boat three football fields long, his choice to believe it was going to rain, his perseverance, even though people were ridiculing him, even though there was derision, there was all of this adversity, he made a personal choice to do what God said. And because he made that choice, God didn't make that choice. Because God does not override our power of choice. I want you to see the importance of our role in our success in God, in our forward progress. We have to make choices, therefore we must own the choices we make because the choices we're making today are going to shape our future. Can you say amen? The choice that Noah made to build a boat even though it was hard work and took a long time under a lot of adversity from other people, it resulted in the saving of his family. And when you really study it, he saved humanity that, that, that day because he made a choice. He followed through on the choice he made to the word of God. What does the garden teach us? What does... The, the story of Noah's Ark teaches, it teaches us the power of owning our choices. Because the choices we make today create our future tomorrow. Now here's what's interesting. Some people have this internal narrative going on that keeps them from taking personal responsibility. And what they get into is excuse making. Abdication of responsibility. I remember back in Arkansas, I was pastoring, and I had a staff member, and this staff member was notorious for being late. I mean, consistently late. So I was having these come-to-Jesus meetings, like, you did it again. And let me tell you, the kind, let me illustrate. He had this kind of internal narrative going on. He was a master excuse maker. He even reached out, and this is what he says to me. He goes, look, Bill Clinton was our governor. He's now our president. So he's like successful. And everybody knows he's late to every meeting he attends. He sat across from me and said, look at the successful. They're late. So it's no big deal. He then says to me, look how long it took Columbus to finally get here. And I just sat there. And he goes, what else do you want? I said, I want you to own the fact that you just didn't get up in time. And I want you to come in here, and I don't want you to talk about Columbus or Bill Clinton. I want you to say, I did not get up on time. 
therefore, I was late. And I said, after I pick myself up off the floor, I will say, now we're making progress. Because you just owned your choice. See, there was an internal narrative. There's an internal narrative in all of us, meaning there's that, that conversation that's going on in the inside. We can be riding down the road. Okay, okay I'll tell them it was traffic. I'll tell them it was, we, we work, all, take it into any category where we're working on an excuse so that we don't have to own the choice we make. Justification for a lack of execution is something that world-class athletes like we're watching in the Olympics would never do. They aren't where they are because they made excuses. Let me give you a good mantra. No more excuses. Let me give you a way to get a measure on this. If, if you're struggling taking ownership of a choice in your life, here's how you'll know. One excuse after the other will be coming to your mind. And when you are here, and, and if you are then verbalizing those and making those excuses to other people, well, here's the reason. And, it is it, and if that's what you do, then know you are deferring and abdicating personal responsibility. And when you refuse to own your choices, then you miss the future God has for you because nobody can have the future God wants for them without self under control, which means ownership of the choices we make. Now let's breathe a little bit. Say okay. Say amen. You with me? We're tracking. This is a powerful, helpful word. Adam, why didn't he say, God, I ate that fruit. I made a horrible choice. I know you told me not to, but I did. And God, I'm her husband. And I wasn't there fighting off the snake, and I should have been. I wasn't there protecting her, and I should have been. And I am deeply, deeply, Sorry. Ownership is not only of the choices we make, but of the influences we allow to shape our lives. Eve allowed the snake to influence her. We read the conversation. It's the first question in the Bible. It's where... The devil questions God's word and opened up this conversation and then pointed her eyes to where it tweaked the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Influences. Here's what I'm saying. Up until now, we, we can't change it. You can't go back to yesterday. You can't go back to last month. You are where you are. Own it. As good as that might be or as negative as that might be, own it. But here's the way you own the future that you can have. 
you express that ownership through the choices you make and the, the influences you allow to shape your life. The influences you allow to shape your life. Now, can you imagine in the Olympic relay race if one of the team members just turned around and started running in the opposite direction? His team would not only lose, his team would be disqualified. And the summary story would be because there was a team member that decided to run a different race. And because that person is influential in this race, we were all disqualified. Because he started running a different race. The friends you have will determine your future. You're running a race as a believer. Paul talks about that race, and you're running that race to win it. You're running that race race to win the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Now, are those who influence you also running the same race? Because if they're not running the same race, it's going to be trouble. There will be people in your world that aren't saved. But there is a difference. I'm talking about those that you allow to influence your life. Those that you allow to shape the way you think and the way you respond. Do you have influencers in your life that at the core aren't running the race that you're trying to run? And I don't care how long they've been coming to church. Are they running the race that God has called you to run? The race of Christianity. Take ownership of the influencers of your life. Here's Amos 3 verse 3. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? What's the answer? No. Proverbs 13 verse 20. He who walks with the wise is wise. That's part A. Here's B. He who keeps company with the foolish will be destroyed. Amnon, brother to Tamar, had these lustful thoughts toward Tamar, his own sister. He knows that's wrong. He knows he shouldn't act on those thoughts. His own father has written, hide the word in your heart so that you won't sin. He's got every opportunity to make the right choice. In 2 Samuel 13, 3, here's exactly what it says. But Amnon had a friend. And the Bible calls that friend a crafty friend. Other versions say shrewd. And the influence of that friend on the internal thoughts that Amnon was already having culminated in Amnon making a personal choice to rape his sister. Tamar lived in brokenness. Absalom, another brother, got so enraged he killed Amnon That took the throne from Absalom. It was a family wreck. And you cannot 
remove from that story the influence of the friend. See, the friend doesn't make choices for you. The friend shapes your thought process. The friend feeds a certain thought process. And a good friend will feed a healthy thought process so that it positions you to have that kind of influence in when you make the personal choice. The person you are becoming is directly related to the people you allow to influence you. What is self-control? It's owning who you are, which is owning your choices and owning the influences of your life. If friendship is that important, I strongly recommend friendship with Jesus. Where you read his word, you meditate on his word, you pray his word, you process his word, you even go on fast as an expression of devotion to that word. You, you develop this relationship with Jesus to be the chief influencer of your life. I would encourage you outside of friendship with Jesus to be around people who are noble, honorable, and admirable. I would encourage you to know that as you put those kind of influences in your life, you are taking responsibility for your life. You are establishing boundaries for your life. You're allowing now your yes to be yes and your no to be no. You're allowing yourself the ability to say, there are some things I don't do and there are some places I don't go and there are some people that I simply do not allow to shape my life. It's not that I'm unwilling to try and influence them, but I will not allow them to influence me because it will be a negative, perhaps destructive influence. Self-control is ownership. Going forward, it's ownership of my choices and my influences. If I've made terrible choices of the past and I've allowed very destructive influences in my past and it's brought me to a place of fragmentation, brokenness, and sin, all right, you can't blame them and you, you don't blame any, just take ownership. This is where you are. But owning who you can become means you are now going to see the importance of those choices and those influences. And you are not going to be a passive uh, participant in the story of your life where you just let choices come and go without respect of their importance. And you allow just anything or anybody to shape the way you think. I close with this. When you place your life under your will and then place your will under God's will, you will experience the power of life transformation.